Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The following is a high-five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won! Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing High Five Casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Woo! <laughs> I won again! I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your High Five moment today? Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Check, check, one, two. Is this thing on? Is this thing on? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I hear it. You hear it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is uh, the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. My name is Michael Rappaport, a.k.a. the Jeff Rulin of podcasting, a.k.a. the Jake LaMotta of podcasting. I'm in here with G Moody. Last name rhymes with duty. Today... On the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast, we're going to do the damn thing the way we do the damn thing. Yeah, no doubt. Plus, we have special guest from the San Antonio Spurs. Strong Island is in the house. Danny Green is in Sukasa. We're talking all things Spurs, all things San Antonio basketball, Greg Popovich, and what the heck is going on with my man, Kawhi Leonard, but first, me and G Moody, whose last name rhymes with duty, are going to set the table and do the damn thing. Miles Jordan, please give me something real funky. Let's go. All right. Those are Moody Beats. No doubt. Uh, and my name is Michael Rappaport, a.k.a. the Gringo Man Dingo. I'm here with G. Moody, whose last name rhymes with duty. Uh, and as I told you, this is the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcasting, the only non-fact-checking podcast in the business. We created it. We patented it. If you hear it somewhere else, let us know. We'll sick our high-profile Jew lawyers all over their asses. G. Moody, last name rhymes with duty, the three-time podcast co-host of the year. 
Have no fear. The I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast is here. I'm in beautiful, sunny Los Angeles, California. How you doing, Mr. Moody? Oh, I'm good. Everything is uh, copacetic. Everything is good, bro. Good. Good. That's right. We had a blizzard. Uh, it was 50, 50 degrees the following day. So the snow is gone, and it was uh, a freak of nature. Do you think that this is the end of the winter in New York City? Yeah. I think that's it. Coming up on April, uh, you know, it's going to be warm. Um. So there's going to be no storms coming in because it was a very stormy weekend. Yeah, nah. Everything's good. <laughs> it was 50, like 45 today. It's inching up. That's what I like, man. Okay. Because as you know, it was a very stormy weekend. And uh, you, I think you know where I'm going with this. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Was, uh, 60 Minutes uh, featured a whore mm-hmm. um, to get some credible news from... Uh, a harlot. Um, so I, I have to tell you, I'm not going to use those kinds of words because I'm a gentleman. But I will say this: after all the fanfare and all the hoopla, and uh, I'm on the record, I created the nickname, the iconic nickname, Dick Stain Donald Trump. That that is me. Right. I, I've been on the front lines. I've put myself on blast, talking as much shit uh, as anybody else. About Dick's name, Donald Trump. Okay. Um, so the, all that being said, and, and my, uh, my work speaks for itself in that area. I, I will say, for the most part, for the most part, this whole Stormy Daniels situation is much ado about nothing. And I'll say a few things, and then I would like you to, to jump in. Number one, we are desensitized from the fact that the president is a cheating scumbag. He's not a stick man. We've said it many times in the past that there's a difference between a stick man and an irresponsible fuck. Donald Trump is an irresponsible, cheating fuck. Okay? Yeah. Um, But he is also the president. And because he's so irresponsible and such a cheating fuck, we've we've sort of been like, we know he's a cheating fuck. We know how he talks about women. And you still voted for him. (laughs) We know that he cheats. We know that he doesn't give a fuck. And his wife is still with him. So right. I can't blame Dick Stain Donald Trump for getting away with what he can get away with. You only get away with what people let you get away with. So Melania, if people are angry with Donald Trump, they should start being mad with Melania. Like, don't be <laughs> mad at Donald Trump. Be mad with, for the people that voted for him. Um, if he's a cheating scumbag... And his wife allows it, and he's with a porn star, and they do what they do. And and one of the things that I found sickening and embarrassing to me, as much as I would love to see some videotape of Russian prostitutes peeing all over a new Donald Trump, if I can't actually see the videotapes of the Russian prostitutes peeing all over a new Donald Trump, I don't want to hear about the little tryst. You know, Anderson Cooper sitting up there like asking, you know, in this, you know, CBS 60 Minutes way uh, uh, about their sexual uh, relations. And did they use a rubber? And did they not oh. use a rubber? And she she spanked him with the thing. And, you know, he showed me the magazine. Listen, Stormy Daniels was so proud. She's like, I told him, you know, you must not be used to women like me talking to you like this. 
Sweetheart, you're in the hotel room. He didn't force himself on you. You came up there because he's Donald Trump. You came up there because he's on the magazine. Okay, of so course. you're not like you're not some, you're not fucking Joan of Arc here. You're not some, you know, new millennium, you know, strong woman. Okay? You're a jump off. Okay? You're a jump but off they- chick. <laughs> the only story she has and the only story that that's worth discussing is if Donald Trump's goon lawyer if there was foul play in her and in, in the goon lawyer paying off, and if the money came from campaign funds, all this, oh, I spanked him on the butt with the magazine that he was on the cover for, and all this, oh, we had sex without the rubber, and all that. I don't care about any of that. Like, if you no. really, if you're really gonna talk about the sexual explicit nature of the evening, let's do it. Otherwise, you're embarrassing yourselves. Like, oh, she's already done that. She's embarrassing herself. You tuned in. But you Anderson tuned Cooper in too, because you were hoping for some groundbreaking shit. Right. You tuned. You tuned into the shit. You and think of the, think of the program. Too. You tuned no, in I too. No, I didn't. I didn't watch this shit. Think well, of the, don't think say of you the, didn't watch it because if you didn't think, watch think, it, you you read up on it. Cheap, you read the news on it. You saw the clips. Think of how cheap that news program is for them to go get a whore and act like she has anything of value. To say and you knowing got what you deserve, and you got knowing a little ch- and tidbits. knowing that she really didn't have anything of value to say, like they, right. there's pre-interviews. They interviewed her before. They knew exactly what she was going to say, what she wasn't going to say, and to come up with just that and and build it up just for ratings, just to try to bash Trump. And I'm all for bashing Trump. I'm not. I, I'm the first one in line to bash this motherfucker. But if you don't have anything that's bashable, kill the story. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was. I thought it was like a non-story. Now I will say this: Dick Stain Donald Trump. He tweets about everybody. Tweeted about Levar Ball. Tweeted about Steph Curry. Tweeted about Colin Kaepernick. He hasn't said a word about Stormy Daniels. There's a reason why. I don't know why, but there is a reason why. I believe everything she did say, and I think the only thing that's of interest in a legal sense is whether or not. Him and the goon lawyer conspired to pay her off, which I think is very obvious, although they might have covered their tracks, and whether or not the money came from campaign funds. I don't give a shit uh, about How are you going to find that out? Come on, man. Donald, Donald Trump, if, if he was with this woman and he was freaking off with her, that, that doesn't mean you can impeach this guy. They just, they're just trying to just, just sully his whole shit. So what he was with some hoes? So what? <laughs> that, that, yo, that's what they do. And these motherfuckers try to, and your news program, the 60 Minutes, that shit is whack. If you, if you bring in a hoe on and trying to get some information from her as if she's credible, come on, man. Nobody should tune into that bullshit. I agree with some of what you're saying. Um, being that you didn't watch it, uh, you should just shut the fuck up. No, why, you, why you should, should I watch that? I know what time it is. It's a witch hunt. It's everything. Now, uh, tomorrow will be something about, oh, he didn't tie his shoe a certain way. It's always some bullshit. Just let the man rock. He won. Somebody need to tell Anderson Cooper, yo, he won, yo. And also, Anderson Cooper, if you're trying to get explicit details, yo, get explicit details. He's like, scared. Like, like, no, but like, if you're really going to do it, really do it. Like, oh, he didn't use a condom. Where did he skeet? Like, I don't want to hear all that. Like, I don't want to hear all that. But if you're going to try to make something salacious, like, you know, really have that conversation. Otherwise, like, yo, this is like, 
This is bullshit, yeah. man. Like, like otherwise, like you're trying to embarrass him because he he spanked her on the ass with the magazine, and she's trying to act like she's some strong woman, and she's like, oh, I don't think he was used to a woman like me ever talk to. Oh, come on. And how many Stormy Daniels he ran through? Yeah, come on. You ain't nothing special. Yeah, he ran through you. You up in his room. And, Donald Trump is the billionaire. As much as I wanted to see this, you know, be a, a notch against Donald Trump because he set the bar so low. <laughs> Because the precedent is already set so at the bottom, this was nothing. This was nothing. And if you want to be mad about this, don't be mad at Donald Trump. Be mad at Melania for tolerating this shit. Because the one thing that we could all agree on is that this wasn't just made up. She freaked oh, off no. with Donald Trump. They, oh, they, yeah. they freaked off. So, so the fact that his wife, whether she's the first woman, not first woman, politics, the fact that she's okay with it just goes to show... You know what kind of person she is. The fact that oh, the man. daughter it is okay right. with it, and, and like like those are the people to be mad with. You're gonna get away with. It's human nature to try to get away with what you can get away with. That's just the way you know humans work, in my opinion. I, I yo, I got you, man. But I think y'all, yo, she she's there. She sees all the shit that's going. She's putting up with it. I y'all agree. Motherfuckers, y'all motherfuckers judging her, man. Just just let them do their thing, man. Who the fuck is you, man, to be huh. uh? She's a, uh, Melania should stay, should leave the marriage. Mind your fucking business, man. Yo, listen, all I'm going to say is, <laughs> Moody, a, a lot of people find some of the things you say tremendously compromise. Uh, what's the word? Um, they find it very... Uh, clever, motherfucker. No, they don't find it clever, motherfucker. <laughs> they don't find it clever. Very controversial. I've had people, you know, what's up with your boy Moody? They've said some terrible things yeah. about you in my DMs. And I'm going to let you know, I stick up for you, but you're on fucking thin ice. Okay? Yeah. Yo, I don't care. Let you're him you're come, on fucking come to thin me. ice, man. I'm just let letting you know. Let him come to me. Huh? Why go to him when you could go to me? Hey, I'm letting you know. Some people are really disappointed with what, what some of the things you're saying. And I just go, yo, yo, it is what it is. That means, that only means that I'm doing well. Okay. That means I'm doing good. Okay. Because you can't be with everybody all the time. I told these motherfuckers, I'm an independent thinker. So it ain't no leaning left. It ain't no leaning right. Mm -hmm. It's cent I'm centered. Mm -hmm. And I try to look at, when, where, whereas you bashing motherfuckers, mm -hmm. I try to look at what's the objective. Well, what are they, what's the intention? You just bash these motherfuckers. I don't do that. Okay. And them suckers reach out to you. Yes. When they... Tell these cats to come to me, okay. and I can tell you what time it is. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you right now. Some of these people have said some really, some really upsetting things, but I just want to let you know <laughs> I got your back. Um, I hear you. Moving on, let me uh, let me move on with some other things. Let me see what else is going on. Um, this this is crazy. Now I, you kind of need the visuals for this. Um, and podcasting is um, not a visual medium. I'm going to try to articulate this as best I can. So, did you see Moody? The pictures of Christina Aguilera um, on the cover of Paper Magazine. She's putting out some new music. She has a new comeback. She's on the cover of Paper Magazine, you know, very famous, you know, fashion sort yeah. of hipster magazine. No makeup, looking, uh, I got to say, very pretty, very, good. like, freckles on her face. Like, you, uh, unrecognizable. The, the way it was brought to me is I saw it on social media somewhere and it says, is this even Christina Aguilera? Like, it's that unrecognizable wow. without all the makeup, without all the hair, without all the lipstick. And I was just thinking about, like, you know, this this woman has been famous for, I, I don't know how many years, 
close to, it's got to be close to 20 years. I mean, she's not my cup of tea, but obviously everybody knows uh, Christina Aguilera. Yeah. And, you know, she's yeah. huge fucking star. And she's been walking around with like a fake face all these years. Like <laughs> makeup, you got to look at it. It's shocking to see. Because okay. when you look at these pictures here, it looks like, like a 23-year-old fresh-faced, you know, blue-eyed model with like freckles. And you're like, oh, this is gorgeous. And like you literally, if you guess 10 people, like who would this be? Who is this person? She's that unrecognizable. And now she's like, I'm going to be the real me. And I'm like, oh, you sacrificed the real you this long. And, and this is what you were covering up. It's not like she looks, she looks beautiful in these new right. pictures. She looked like a wicked witch of the West. The last time I saw her with the makeup and the wigs and the, you know, she's sashaying and, yeah, 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 and all this bullshit. Uh, and now she looks like, you know, like a, like a blonde headed beach bunny. Good. Good. At least she took all that shit off and say, yo, she's recognizing her own her own beauty, man. Salute. Give her a, a shout out. Yeah, no, it, it's just wild to me. Like, you know, the sort of the self-hate and yeah. and the fear. And you think what this is what people like. And, and and I'm like, if she could sing the way she used to be able to sing and she looks like this, it's literally like an entirely new person. Like it's that shocking. You 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 gotta check it out. I, I didn't I didn't know if you saw it or not. Or the people saw it, but look up Christina Aguilera um, on Paper Magazine, and you're gonna be like, "This is this shit is bugged out. Like she's literally unrecognizable." I'm gonna check it. So as I told you later on in the show, we got uh, my man Broadway Danny Green from Strong Island, New York City. Uh, yeah, from Lo Long Island. Uh, not that many. Uh, well, actually, a lot of ball players have come out of uh, Long Island. Uh, yeah, Mike James, uh, Shelton Jones, for formerly. From St. John's, I think he played in the league for like, uh, he had a cup of tea in the league. Yeah, it's a few. The, the good few doctor, Doctor J. Eddie Murphy's yeah. from uh, uh, Long Island. Howard Stern is from Long Island. Natalie Portman is from Long Island. Uh, shit, the, the list. Uh, Anthony yeah. Scaramucci, the fucking mooch, he's from Long Island. My mother's from Long Island. So uh, <laughs> Broadway, Danny Green. Um, I don't know if that's if anyone ever called him that, but you know the Woody Allen uh, movie. Broadway Danny Rose is, is definitely one of my favorite movies. Uh, he's coming on. We just talked to him. Good dude. Talk about the art of shooting. Um, 300 makes. I talked to him about shooting, like, you know, like in a day, like when you're when you're like that level of shooting, Mullen, Chris Mullen, I talked to him about it one time. He said he would do four to five hundred makes. Damn. Not shots, makes. Just make, yeah. Ooh. Repetition. Keep it going. That's these these guys are uh, professionals. They take it very serious. Yeah, and they've perfected. And Danny Green is a professional basketball player, and he's a sharp-shooting uh, San Antonio Spur uh, uh, champion at North Carolina. I was was out of the league, was in the D League, uh, went overseas, uh, got picked up by the Spurs, got cut by the Spurs, and then you know he won championship with with one of my favorite teams, the uh, San Antonio Spurs, that dismantled uh, your Miami Heat, uh, led by <laughs> LeBron James. So we talk about all that later on in the show. Another thing I want to talk to you about, and I'm dying for some more people to see it. Gee, you have to watch this. You have Netflix. I watched this documentary, six-hour documentary. And when you watch it, you'll go, you'll remember seeing the clips on 60 Minutes, on Oprah Winfrey. It's this documentary called Wild, Wild Country on Netflix. And it's essentially about this guru um, who was like a famous guru, one of these, you know, gurus in India, and he's practicing love and 
peace and yo yoga and you know mm-hmm. free sex and all this crazy shit and and you know he had followers and uh you know all this all this you know like the guru stuff his name is uh Sri Rajanish and uh so he took his act on the road this is in 1981 they uh him and his followers they moved to a small sleepy town i believe it was like 97 people in this mm-hmm. small sleepy town in in Oregon and uh they were able to sort of you know purchase this big plot of land and and because they had so much money in donations and so many followers and it wasn't just like you know it wasn't poor people it was people with money they had engineers they had builders like you know i can't remember what it started with they they built up this this city you know in the, in this you know i think it was like 82 acres of land in the middle of mm-hmm. like this sleepy town in Oregon Next thing you know, they started buying up the town next door, and then they wanted to continue buying shit, um, you know, and they were finding all the loopholes. Like, it's some sort of law. Like, if you have, like, 150 people in a town, you can form a city. And then if Mm. you form a city, you can do this, and then you have a mayor. Anyway, it got out of control quick. Okay? And the next thing you know, they, they um, they wanted to take over this bigger town. And I think the town was like 10,000 people. So what the fuck these Rajanish people, that's what they were being called. Mm-hmm. They went to like Houston. They went to New York. They went to Philly. They went to Los Angeles. And they would recruit. This is all documented. All of it's on mm-hmm. film. They would recruit homeless people to come to the town. They would, you know, fix their teeth, clean them, get them sober. Wow. And, then, because they, and then they tried to get them to become legal residents of the town because they're like, oh, these are our people. We got them off the fucking streets. We're going to have them vote. We're going we're gonna to wind up winning the vote. We're going to have our, we're going to take over the next town. Anyway, it became like a whole thing. They were trying to take over the fucking state of Oregon. Wow. And it's just wild. And the whole thing is documented. I don't know if I'm doing a great job of articulating it, but it's on Netflix. I watched the whole thing in one sitting. It's called oh. Wild Wild Country, and it's bugged the fuck out. <laughs> I'm gonna check it Yo, out. Yo, it is bugged crazy. the fuck out. It's really bugged out, and it's like one of these things that if it wasn't a documentary, you'd be like, "This, this never took place. This couldn't right. happen. There's no way this could happen." And it happened. They were trying to take over the whole fucking state, and Damn. The, the feds came in, and you know, it was all this peace and free love shit. But they built an entire city. Like the idea of it was good. But, but, you know, listen, the leader, Sri Rajanish, he's driving around literally in 19 fucking Rolls Royces. You know mm. what I mean? He's banging all the people. And it's just, this, oh. it's, cra- it's crazy. So it's really about, you know, cults and power and, you know, sort of uh, these false heroes and, and mm-hmm. th- this hero worship and, and all that stuff. And I just, I can't. Um, recommend it, uh, you know, higher. Like, so so. I, I, everybody should check it out. I would love to, you know, hear uh, 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 what uh, you guys think of it. It's bugged out. And also, I want to say this. Yo, you can email us. Okay, I'm going to get a phone number because we're going to start taking phone calls. But you can email us up at, at, at I am podcast at gmail.com. Email us whatever you want. Okay? Email us the parts of the shows that you do like. Email us sick fuck of the week suggestions. I want to give a shout out to the people that are sending me all the sick fuck of the week suggestions over there on my DMs on Instagram. Um, email us, oh, Mike Rapp, uh, you, you know, we like when you say this. We don't like when you say that. Um, e- email us whatever you want. I am Rappaport Podcast 
at gmail.com. I want to you know, have communication uh, with the listeners of the world's greatest podcast uh, there is. <laughs> yep. And since we're the world's greatest podcast, obviously we have the world's greatest fans. And I hear from a lot of you guys on Twitter, and I hear from a lot of you guys on Instagram. But you can hit us up anytime, questions, suggestions, comments, criticism, whatever the fuck you want. Okay, yeah, one more time, I am Rappaport Podcast at gmail.com. What else is going on? Uh, did you see um, uh, Kentucky over the weekend? They, they lost and Calipari uh, didn't shake hands uh, with, with the, uh, the team that beat them. Is that right? Yeah, he, he didn't shake hands. He said, oh, they were, uh, they were, they were celebrating and uh, we didn't want to. Come on, man. See, that's that, that's that bullshit. That Come is on, that man. bullshit. That's See? that bullshit. Just because you didn't colors. win, you're going to be on yep. that bullshit. That's that sucker shit. Yep, yep, he did it. Calipari did that. He didn't shake hands with, with the coach, uh, the players of the other team. Yep. What's the matter, Johnny? Huh? You cocksucker. You motherfucker. We beat you fair and fucking square, Johnny. Huh? I know this cocksucker. I know fucking Calipari. All these fucking years, his team's beating us by fucking 30, 40 fucking points. John Wall, Boogie fucking Cousins, and Anthony the fucking Unibrow Davis. You can't shake my fucking players' hands, Johnny. I'll bust your fucking head open. Meet me in the fucking locker room then. Fucking Johnny Calipari. Johnny. Every fucking year he's beating our fucking team. My kids played the fucking right way. You shake those fucking kids' heads. You snake oil cocksucker, you. <laughs> the, the New York Giants are, are threatening to, to uh, trade Odell Beckham. Don't do I, it. I, Don't do it. I say get rid of this fucking guy. Don't do you it. You know why? Don't fuck. You know do why? It. He has nothing really to show uh, uh, for uh, football. What? One play. They lost the playoff game, and he had three drops. So what's the value? We're not getting production. The Giants ain't getting production. And he's wilding. Now you want max contract. Yo, let this motherfucker go. Yo, let me tell you something. Uh, we've been very open and honest. I've I've ILO'd him. We've been on yeah. him. We we did a whole thing a couple of weeks ago about cutting his hair for the culture. <laughs> but he's a once in a generation talent. Yes, he has shitty playoff game. You're not going to replace that kind of talent. And 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 me personally, I believe that he's going to put it all together and get it all together. And unless they could get someone and something or some sort of value. That is an immediate improvement to the team. Because I'm telling you right now, G, with, with the Knicks being where they're at and the fact that the Patriots, they're coming back. This might be the last stance. It might not be the last stance. Whatever the case is, they are coming back. 2018-2019 season, the NFL will be dealing once again with the New England Patriots. All right? <laughs> And if I don't have the New York Giants to root for, it makes it really fucking hard. Okay? Now, last year was an abomination. 
But if they're not going to get somebody who's going to come in there, I, I can't do a rebuilding process with the Giants. I'm doing a rebuilding process <laughs> with the fucking Knicks. <laughs> you got here two rehabs going on. Yeah, we can't <laughs> do. We need something. You know, I'm not with the baseball shit. I know that they're the Yankees are good. That means nothing to me. Like, I, of right. course, I want to see the Yankees and the Mets do good. But as a New York sports fan, yo, you can't trade somebody just because they're acting a little stupid in the offseason. This no, guy's no. ridiculous. I'm saying, has that talent? All that shit you talk about, all them the Captain Kangaroo uh, catches yes. and one hit, but. Has that translated into winning? No. All that talent. So I'm in the owner's shoes now. All that talent hasn't translated into us winning. You, we made the playoff one time, and you're this world's greatest football catcher, but it's not translating into winning. And you wilding yeah, off you the wildin'. field. He, he's got to chill, so, man, because I fuck with this guy, man. He's got to. So I know. So as an owner, I look at, yo, you want... 200 mil, you want to be the highest played football player. So we got to look at production and behavior. Fuck all the other shit. That's what they need to tell these motherfuckers, straight up and down. All that bullshit you're doing off the field is, is affecting negotiations, homeboy. Hey, he, he knows it. I just think they need to re-up with him, and I don't want to get rid of Odell Beckham with, with the Giants. Um, we talked about this the other day. And my personal feelings and everybody who listens to the podcast aside, um, I was thinking about this because since uh, uh, Johnny Johnny fuck up uh, had his little piss day, as we called it the other day, uh, you know, where he, where he played a game of catch in front of the scouts, um, piss day. you know, he came out and said the right thing about Colin Kaepernick and, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of. Uh, you know, people like us, we we were talking about we me and Gerald basically both said that um you you thought that Kaepernick was a distraction and that yeah. you thought that Manzel was a distraction and uh because the, the you know whether we like it or not, agree with uh, or not, um they can be deemed distractions to the teams. Okay. Um Eric Reed, I don't know if if, oh, if you follow football. I know Eric Reed's yeah. the the uh, the cornerback. Um who former All Pro? Um, he's yeah. one of the players that kneeled with Colin Kaepernick when Kaepernick mm -hmm. was in uh, uh, San Francisco. Obviously, he, he, unless you're a football head, he, you know. But he's a he's a super duper talent. Yeah. Right now, Eric Reed is not with any team in the NFL, yeah. and he's even gone as far as saying he wouldn't kneel. Like he, he basically they broke him. <laughs> You know, they said he wouldn't kneel. He, he won't be a distraction if he goes to any team. And after this, this young man was shot in San Francisco for the very reason that Colin Kaepernick was kneeling to bring attention to police brutality. I, I was thinking about this. I was like, forget my, my feelings about Manziel because aside from when homeboy started talking greasy, I could give two shits about him. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking like, yo... The NFL is really, like, Colin Kaepernick is never playing football again. I'm not sure whether or not Eric Reed will get signed or not get signed. He's 26 years old. He's a, a, one of, a, I don't want to say he's an elite defender, but he's on the precipice of being elite. Like, he, he should absolutely 100% be signed. And I was thinking about how fucked up this situation is. And whether or not Manziel um, has the skill set to play in the NFL or not, you know, because Manziel's kind of sort of trying to get get out of the way of, 
yo, I, he, he, he's going to be the sacrificial lamb. Because like what Shannon Sharp was saying, it was like, yo, if Johnny Manziel plays in the NFL, the black fans that, that protested Papa John's and shut down Papa John's, and like it's not just white fans. Like if Johnny Manziel plays in the NFL, it's going to be a problem. And as far as I'm concerned, the blatant, the blatant discrimination that's taken place with Colin Kaepernick and the blatant discrimination that's taken place with uh, this kid, Eric Reed. It's an eye for an eye. Like, yo, if Kaepernick ain't playing, Johnny Manziel, you might grow five inches. You might get your life together. For, you know, you might be sober for the next two. You ain't playing, Duke. Like, th- this is a situation where, and, and I'm all for it. It's like, you're not getting in the league when you had all the opportunities that Johnny Manziel had. You snorted him away. You drank him away. You smacked chicks away. And Colin Kaepernick, who's done nothing, but we, uh, we can agree, you could, you could call him a distraction. He's not playing in the league. Well, then you ain't playing in the league either, Duke. It, it's, it's like, yo, it, it's he has not a better happening. Chance. You're not playing in this fucking league, homeboy. Now, Period. Wait. Now, Eric Reed, that guy, the safety, now he's sending out uh, like little leaflets saying, I won't kneel. Right. And I'm saying to myself, why you do it in the first place? You can't be a part-time Huey Newton, motherfucker. You got to, if you force something... This is that you, you should expect that that would be the consequence. Now you're going to basically beg these people, right? Oh, I won't do it. So obviously you doing it initially didn't mean shit. That's like Muhammad Ali on, on some, oh, oh no, nah, I didn't mean that. It's crazy. <laughs> it looks ridiculous. It's fucked up. It's, but, but just like Colin Kaepernick, people are like, well, why did this happen? Why did it also, like, you know, your feelings, your thoughts, and your ways to protest you know, and, and your ideas and, and how you're articulating uh, your, your feelings. You have a right to change and evolve those feelings. You know, you don't think the same way you thought when you were 30 years old, as do I. You know, and Eric Reed can still be about it, about it. And he, he should have, you know, I'm just saying it's like people like, you know, in this day and age, you know, because of social media and everything is marked down and you did this and we have a photo of you doing that. And this tweet, yo, you, you know, I've said it before. Yeah, there, there's tweets that I would like to have taken back. You know what I mean? There's things that I've said that I, that I would like to have taken back. There's comments that we've made on this show that if you scroll through them, you might be like, yo, these motherfuckers are wild. You know what right. I mean? So people are entitled to say things, uh, evolve, change, grow, um, you know, extensions of it and all that stuff. So I'm just saying it's going to be an interesting situation with this Johnny fuck-up situation. But as far as I'm concerned, if Cap ain't playing, I don't give a fuck what you do, Duke. You ain't playing in the NFL either, well, period. Cap, I'm going to tell you now, Cap ain't, Cap ain't playing, and Manziel's going to get on a roster. Because as, a, as the owners, Manziel got personal issues. You know what I'm saying? He not going to fuck with our bottom line and alienate our fans. You look at it, try to look at it from there. Yeah, but what Shannon Sharp was saying is like, oh no, you are going to alienate the fans. You're going to alienate the black fans. That's what he was, that's what he yeah. was articulating. Just like, yo, Papa Absolutely. John's is gone because the black fans were like, nah, Duke. Like, they have voices too. Football, like, the people that watch football aren't just white people. You know what I mean? Like, this is, you know, there's, there's other people that watch this shit. The majority, you can't lose 70% or 80% of the fan base which is white motherfuckers. <laughs> white you, so motherfuckers. If, <laughs> so if you alienate them, 
That's when the ratings and all that shit go down. And this is what's happening. So, yo, you can't lose the majority of the fan base. And you and these people coming out here kneeling, that's something that affects the bottom line with those dudes. It's about, you know, the owners, how they look at it. I understand all that shit you're talking to, but I try to look at it from their point of view. I don't want that shit on my team if I'm, if I'm an owner. That's why homeboy is like, Eric Reed is like, oh, putting out flyers and shit. I won't be kneeling. I won't be kneeling. So if I'm an owner, I would kick it to him like, why are you doing it in the first place, motherfucker? Uh, well, <laughs> it's, so it don't mean shit. This whole situation, this story is, is looming around the NFL and we're in, we're in March, and this shit is going to continue uh, to be an issue uh, around the NFL. It, it is not going anywhere. As much as we all kind of want to be like, yo, I just want to watch a fucking ball game, it, it shit ain't going nowhere. It ain't going nowhere. The shit is, it's real. Um, what else is going? Yo, N- NBA is getting ready to be playoffs. Like, eight games, seven, eight games, nine games. Like, it's getting ready to come down to, uh, you know, that time of the year. Yeah, yeah, and I see uh, now the uh, the Golden State Warriors have injuries, and uh, LeBron. It looks like we got a little clearing. Maybe he get to the championship. Maybe he do it again, yo. Oh, I, I there's no doubt in my mind. I, they're they're going to the championship. I mean, barring injury to LeBron, Toronto ain't ready. Uh, Washington's all fucked up. Uh, Kyrie, I think, I believe. I believe he um, he had a meniscus injury, uh, the surgery, and you could come back from that. I don't I don't know if it's meniscus, but they said non intrusive, and and sometimes that's a buzzword. You know, I'm in the know in this sports world. Sometimes that's a buzzword as a meniscus tear. If you come back from that too soon, um, I believe that's what Brandon Roy had. Remember Brandon Roy, Portland Trailblazers career. Oh, oh. I, I believe. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm not sure if that's what it is. Um, Cleveland's going to the finals. There's nobody in the East that that's uh, gonna beat them. That that guy LeBron James is a fucking animal. He's an animal. He's a fucking animal, man. Fifteenth year. How, what is it? Fifteenth year, and doing it, and doing it, yo. Fifteen years, man. Nobody's ever played like that in their fifteenth year. Actually, this is like his best season. So right, statistically, like this last month was his best statistic month ever. So what are we watching? That's my whole point in saying. What kind of athlete are we watching? This might be the greatest dude. I'm not arguing with it. That doesn't mean I, that doesn't mean I have to dick ride him like you do, Duke. Yo, I, 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 I don't you, have to dick ride him like ball. you do, Duke. We know ball. So when you see something extraordinary, we've seen the nicest motherfuckers. So when you see somebody nicer than the nicest dude, yo, it's special. And I like it. And I like ball. See, you just want to try to hate on him. Yo. Yo, just acknowledge that dude's greatness, man, as far as a complete basketball player. You got, you got to give him the props, yo. Yeah, I hear you, man. Um, so uh, what, what place does this dude work at? This, this cornball motherfucker. Uh, oh, who, who that? This, this corny-ass motherfucker. Uh, what is his name? Uh, Travis Clay. You know, oh, Clay Travis. Clay Travis. He, he works at... Uh, Oh, I don't. I'm not familiar with. He's, he's one of these Duke University of Duke looking motherfuckers, man. Oh, one of these uh, Christian Leitner motherfuckers. He's like always, you know, he's always trying to stir the pot, ass motherfucker. Whatever. What, what he did? He talking shit about my girl Michelle Beadle. He said she's absurdly overpaid at five million dollars oh, yeah. per year. Yo, Duke, 
fuck is you counting her money for, Duke? <laughs> Why are you worrying about her money, Duke? She getting five million a year. Let her let her live. Let her yeah. shine, Clay Travis. Yeah. Why are you worrying about her money? She's overpaid. You not dope. I know you think you dope. You not dope, though, money. You're yeah. not dope. And, and the fact that you're worried about what a lady is making, what another person is making, let her live. Let her count her checks. Why is you in her pockets, Duke? The fuck is you doing, Clay mm. Travis? Mm. Yeah, I don't. I, I read that. That's the ultimate hater shit. That's like you, you in the press, you in the paper, hating on a woman's salary that she's making money and you're you're earmarking you're laying out things as to why she shouldn't be paid that's the ultimate hater you could just chill the fuck out yeah you could talk shit shit. you could say she's not good but she's overpaid why you why you counting her money man the fuck is wrong with you dude yeah sound crazy man you 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 just talk among your friends with that you don't put that out in public it makes you look crazy man you playing yourself Clay yeah. Travis, Travis Clay, whatever the fuck your name is. It's this guy got two first names <laughs> as his name. Travis. It could be like either. A, Travis Clay, a, Clay Travis. Corny, Duke. He sound like a country singer. That sound like a country singer. Yeah, name. man. Get your motherfucking guitar and get the fuck up out of here, man. <laughs> Yo, Miles Jordan. Let me get that sick fuck of the week music. This award is earned, not given. It's called the sick fuck of the week. This guy's really sick. Lock him up. How could you do it? Don't. Let him out. Damn. You fucked the dog? You what? You fucked the dog? Why would you fuck the dog? Why would you fuck your girlfriend's dog? What? Sick fuck. The sick fuck of the week. It's earned. Earned. Not given. You did. What? No. 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 Oh, yeah. That's it right there. That's, uh, that's it. That's it. Okay. That's the Sick Fuck of the Week theme song. That's the Sick Fuck of the Week theme song. This is an award that is earned, not given. It is an award, yes, that is earned, but not given. It's given to the sickest of the sick fucks out there. Um, As I told you, coming up soon, we are going to have a segment uh, which is for the sicker sick fucks of the week, um, and it will be called uh, Bring Out the Gimp. But until then, we will be just calling these people the sick fucks of the week. Number one, police are looking for a man. A Brooklyn subway train rider on the G train. Over there on Bergen Street. You know about the the G train, G? Of course, man. Greenpoint. A 21-year-old man. They have pictures of this sick fuck. Punched a five-year-old boy in the face on the G train. The fuck is yeah. you doing, Duke? Yeah. <laughs> Yo, look this dude up. 20 years old. They say he's about five. He's about six feet, 160 pounds with a medium build. Look this piece of shit up if you're in New York. He is this week's sick fuck of the week, and he's on the lam. He punched a five-year-old boy in the face on the train. Man. That's that, yo, the, the subways, they have that, those mental, public transportation, anybody can ride, always keep your kids near, man, it's a lot of crazy fools out there, yo. Yeah, man, um, this guy, this sick fuck, um, in the future, he'd be on the bring out the gimp section of the show, okay, because mm. there's no, nothing funny about this sick fuck. See, the bring out the gimp 
segment is for because sick fucks. There's got to be, I don't know, not a sense of humor, but it's just a certain je ne sais quoi. Punching a five year old, that's more like bring out the gimp. This piece of shit that I'm about to bring up, bring out the gimp. His name is Austin Eckberg. Austin Eckberg, a 21 year old sex offender, was arrested Thursday. This piece of shit in Rockford, Illinois, was pleasuring himself in front of preteen girls selling Girl Scout cookies. Mm. <laughs> now lock them up and send them to the wolves. Let them bang them in the ass. Mm. Let them yeah. get banged in the ass. With yeah. or without the Wonder Bread bag. With or without the olive oil. Let the fellas, let all the boys figure out what they're going to do with Austin yeah. Eckberg. At their discretion. You want to give him that Wonder Bread bag? Because you want to protect yourself from this sick fuck? Your choice. If you want to go a a raw dog without a bag, (laughs) then catch him raw dog without a bag. Lock this animal up for the rest of his life. And them dudes be married, you know, be naked in a service station. Third sick fuck of the week. I mean, this guy's a real... Real sick fuck, man. Real sick fuck. Guy's name is Andrew Turley. And if you look up the picture of Andrew Turley, gee, take a take a wild guess what he looks like. What is it? A sick fuck. This piece of shit got 60 years in the can. 60 years in prison. And thank mm. God, you ain't coming out of jail, Andrew Turley. Okay, you're going to be somebody's wife in prison. That's right. You're going to be so they're, they're not going to be calling you Andrew. They're going to be calling you Andrea. Mm. Because this piece of shit tried to sell his four-year-old daughter for sex. His four-year-old daughter. This is a piece of shit. This oh is a dog. God. This guy shouldn't even be on the sick fuck of the week segment. He should be on the bring out the gimp segment because when we bring him out he should be wrapped up chained with a fucking with a, with a rubber ball in his mouth like a mm. gimp okay and we should show him to the world this is a piece of shit bring out the gimp andrew turley you sick fuck you're not getting out of prison you're not getting out of i don't know why they even call it 60 years you ain't never getting out duke <laughs> Andrea Turley, that's your fucking nickname. Drea. Mm. Your, your husband's going to be calling you Drea. He's, he's going to first start calling you Andrea, and then it's just going to be Drea. Then it's just going to be Dre. And then when he passes you off to all the homies, they're going to be calling you Dre Dre. <laughs> um, finally, South Korea. We've been talking about it since the Olympics. 80 dogs... 80 dogs. You can look it up on Instagram. Very, very hard to to see. Puppies, all sorts of dogs. There was a dog that looked exactly like my dog. The people's dog. The I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast news dog. 80 dogs were found suffering on a South Korean dog meat farm and were rescued and in Canada. Thank God for conquering these dog-eating sick fucks in Canada. 80 dogs were were saved, and thank God. Unfortunately, there's 80 dogs that got away 
from these it's sick a, fucks, these these dog eating sick fucks. Hey, you ever had a Chihuahua burger, motherfucker? Don't knock it till you try. It. Yeah. Finally, a woman in Oregon was charged with first degree animal abuse in a seven year old dog's death. This sick fuck named Noel Georgia Moore. Um, and Gerald, do you know what Noel Georgia Moore looks like? No, I don't. What? Uh, she looks like a sick fuck. Um, she was arrested for taking her ex-boyfriend's chihuahua, putting him in the oven, and trying to cook, and obviously killing the fucking dog. You sick Damn. animal, you. You Damn. sick animal, you. Yeah, that's not some culture shit. No, no, no. That's the way to get back at him. And if you look at this lunatic, I don't know how she even pulled any man in the first place. She's got fucking crazy eyes. She looks fucking cuckoo. Cuckoo, Uh, cuckoo. (laughs) Yo, I got got one, man. I got the last one, bro. Oh, thank you. Oh, man, this is crazy. Brittany (laughs) Zamora, a 27-year-old teacher from Las Brias Academy Elementary School in Goodyear, Arizona, has been accused of giving a mic check to a 13-year-old student in the classroom. Lock this animal up. <laughs> now, I don't know if they have a Wonder Bread bag treatment for this animal. And, and if you look her up, I saw a picture of her. You, if, if you saw her on Instagram, you'd say, this is a pretty-looking girl, right? Yes, yeah, married. She Man. doesn't look like your conventional, uh, obvious sick fuck of the week. She looks, she's, she's pretty. Yeah. But looks can be deceiving, you sick fuck. Brittany Zamora. You're going to jail and you ain't ever coming out. A 13-year-old boy, you fucking animal, you. Blew his fucking socks off, man. 13 years old? Come on, man. Come on, man. That ain't nothing dope about that. Listen. That shit's fucked up, man. Listen, listen. These are sick people. They're the sick fucks of the week. Okay? It's time to move on. Listen. Broadway Danny Green. Sharpshooter. For the San Antonio Spurs, coming up next on the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast, we're talking Kawhi. We're talking Popovich. We're talking his shooting routine. We're talking Steph Curry. We're talking Kobe. We're talk- he was a teammate of LeBron James. You know, he was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers. We're talking LeBron. We're talking hoops. From Long Island, Danny Green coming up next on the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. Stay with me. Yo, yo. Danny. What's up, man? Ha, 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 ha. It's Rappaport. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good, man. You good? I'm, I'm good. All right. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for reaching out. Oh, Take man. Take time. Come on, man. I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm from Manhattan. My mother's from Long Island, so I've been following you for a long time. Okay, okay. Same, same. All same. right. Big fan. Danny Green, San Antonio Spur. NCAA college champion, NBA champion on one of my favorite NBA teams of all time, which effectively ended the reign of the evil Miami Heat dynasty. <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time to rock with me on the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast, Danny. Anytime, man. I appreciate you having me. So let me ask you a question. So how does a kid from Long Island, Strong Island, 
same place my mother is from, wind up playing in Chapel Hill. Oh, man. Um, you know, my dad, was he's a big sports fan, too. So growing up, he watched all basketball. You know, he, he wasn't a Knicks fan, you know, sadly. I mean, I didn't grow up a Knicks fan, even though they didn't have great years during those times anyway. But, um, you know, he was a big Michael Jordan fan. We watched a lot of the Bulls, but he's also a big North Carolina fan. Mm. So it was very easy growing up. And I was a big North Carolina fan, too. I watched a lot of those guys play, you know, from Sheed to Stack to, you know, VC. You know, all those guys, even, some of them are still around. But, um, you know, once I was recruited, I wasn't heavily recruited until going into my senior year. You know, you go to certain elite camps, they invite you to, like Nike, ABCD, you know, back then. Um, coming from Long Island, you don't get a lot of recognition. You, you don't get a lot of – so the only way to get recruited, you have to do well in those camps. Uh, lucky for me, you know, I, I did well, you know, going into my senior year. I did decently going into my junior year. I got some D1 um, scouts, D1 schools recruiting me. But going into my senior year, I did really well. And then, you know, North Carolina liked what I had to offer, I guess. And, you know, once they started recruiting me, it was over for me. It was an easy decision for me. So um, I've a big fan since I was a kid. And when I went to Chapel Hill, it was very different from New York, obviously. But, you know, Long Island is very, it's a lot slower paced in the city, but very different from New York. So what is it like going down there? Like, what is it like being a, a player like North Carolina? I mean, Worthy, uh, that Jordan guy, uh, you know, and so on and <laughs> so on. Like, what is it yeah. really like being a, a Tar Heel for North Carolina? I mean, the alum is, is that as you go down the list, are ridiculous. You know, the guys that we have, the, the brotherhood is, is unreal as well. Um, but being on that campus, being a basketball player on that campus, obviously North Carolina is a pretty nice size state and they have other great schools around it. You know, Duke is about 10 minutes up the road. Um, NC State, 20, 25 minutes you know, away. Wake Forest is not too far, hour and some change. Um, there's a lot of schools there that, that you know, really good. But being in Chapel Hill, it's a college town. And those people worship you know, the ground that you, you walk on. And um, it was a great experience for me. It was unbelievable. I had to do four years there. I was lucky to finish you know, winning in my senior year. Um, but going back, they still show a lot of love. And, you know, so the South is very different from New York. So the people there you know, very nice Southern hospitality. And, you know, they cheer you on. It's a big, big sports area at the, all around, you know, from all three areas in the, you know, Duke, North Carolina, NC State. There's, there's a lot going on. The big rivalries, but a lot of fun to watch and play and be a part of. You know, that, that brotherhood, that fraternity, per se. And, um, you know, see those guys come back, watch you play, and acknowledge you and show you love like you're part of the family. So, um, so it's been a blessing for me. You know, like historically, you know, like UCLA has their crew and they have their summer games, um, you know, and, and you just rattled off a bunch of people. Obviously, all the Duke, North Carolina State and North Carolina guys. When when you were at college, who were some of the alum that, you know, would come back to North Carolina that you were playing against, uh, you know, former uh, college stars and also and then current pros? Like, what, what do you remember about those summer games? Oh, man, those are it was, you know, obviously culture shock you know you're still kind of a fan but you're a player you know you still fan a lot of those guys it's like your first year in the nba when you're playing against those guys and playing with some of the guys you're still kind of you know i guess in fan shock i don't know how to explain it but um you know it takes a while for you to get over that you know to, to liberalize and look at them as other basketball players too so at carolina when i got there you know a lot of those guys that had just won a national championship we came there right after they won one in 2005 they had sean may raymond felton rashad mccann's jawad williams um, you know, Marvin Williams, they had all those guys there. 
and we looked up to a lot of them, but they were still around doing summer school. A lot of them were still young, coming back and playing. And we played against them a lot, which was, was you know, great for me to watch them and on TV, one national championship, and then also be able to play with them in the summertime. But we also had guys like Shaman Williams, who was always back. Uh, Joe Forte was there. He was doing summer school for a mm. little bit there. He, he was a monster. Um, so we had uh, quite a few number of random guys come through, you know, different times of the summer. And even some of the guys from Duke would come over, some of the guys from State. You know, he had Big Voss and his brother. Mm. Um, the list goes on. They all come back. And now um, I think we're doing a better job with all the social media, with all the way to connect, and guys playing overseas, traveling overseas, coaching overseas. But a lot of those guys, after they left, a lot of them haven't stayed here or stayed in North Carolina. Um, we have, you know, a nice little group chat on WhatsApp where we keep updated with each other and try to keep the brotherhood going. And if we have any event or camp or anything, what it is, we try to support each other. And we still, you know, watch some of the college games together and talk through the chat of what's going on in the tournament. And obviously, we took a, a tough L, you know. Uh, it was hard to watch, but, you know, we're still very much, we're still very much, um, you know, in contact with each other. Well, you know, you played four years. You, your championship team of 2009, uh, you had guys, you know, who stayed there. Um, you know, Hansborough, uh, you know, he, he stuck around and, you know, you stayed four years. What do you think? I mean, and it, that's just, it's not even that long ago. When I say 2009, it's like, it's not even 10 years ago, but the one and done madness that's running through college basketball i mean what is your take on it uh you know now but like duke like yo they know like yo, if we're gonna get these guys it's better to have them for one year than no years pretty much i mean the top recruits you know those guys are not trying to stay in college and if you want those top recruits you got to be okay with it and obviously i think it's it's good for a kid to at least do one year of college if not two just to mature you know as a man be an adult but some of these kids are, are born you know or grow very fast and in high school they're, they're men am, uh, amongst boys you know they're huge and athletic so they're ready for the NBA but I think that's a very small number of kids and you know obviously I think if you have the option or the opportunity to jump for the NBA from high school and be able to work and provide for your family at 18 19 years old you should have that opportunity but a lot of them I think it kind of waters down and ruins some of the draft some of you know the rookies some of the league a little bit because they just draft up potential and I think that they should, could show their potential, show the growth or mature and be more or better player and understand that they did at least one year, you know, two years of college, I think is, I think is helpful. But um, I said, I said, my experience four years was great. It helped me grow a ton. Um, I learned a lot, not just about basketball, but about life mm -hmm. and how to adjust and adapt to being in this life and how to reel yourself in, be a professional, how to pay bills, how to, you know, be an adult, do your own laundry. Like a lot of that <laughs> stuff, these kids coming out of high school, coming out of one year of college, they barely know how to fold their own clothes and do their own laundry. Right. So they, they come and they have their parents moving with them or they have their parents or their friends trying to help them maintain or do financial stuff. And a lot of times I'm not saying they don't have the best interest, but sometimes they don't know what they're doing either. And that's where it gets lost in the first couple of years. They really miss out on saving some money or having things, you know, put in the right place when they could have been saving or doing this or investing a lot earlier in their careers. Um, when you look back on your run, 2009, you, your North Carolina team that, you know, even in the in the finals, you guys kicked ass. You know, you just ran through teams. Hmm. Um, you know, what is the thing that sticks out? We had a good run. <laughs> you had a good run. You had a good run. What is the thing? I mean, it's hard to pinpoint one thing, but like, what is, when I start talking about that and it's March right now and, you know, we're in the middle of it, like, what are the sort of things that come into your head about your, your time winning that championship? 
Um, I think for me, each year was like a grind, and each year we got kicked out, you know, earlier, in the, or went, went further each year. You know, my freshman year, we got kicked out probably after the first round or so. Then second year, we went to Elite Eight. Then my third year, junior year, I got a chance to experience the Final Four. So, we, you know, we got kicked out. We got beat up pretty good by Kansas. So each year, I think those memories come back, you know, how the process was for me. I was lucky enough to go further and further each year. But my senior year, just being with my, you know, my brothers, my teammates, um, having fun with it and enjoying it and how well we played. You know, we were lucky enough to stay healthy, play well. And, you know, we had some tight, one or two tight games early on. But toward the end, you know, we played so well that we won most of our games by double digits. And it was not as stress, you know, not as stressful as the years prior. But we got a chance to do it in front of our families, which some of us have them still. Some of us don't. Some mm. of us wasn't sure if they're going to be there or not, or able to make it or see it. So win a you know, national championship in front of your, your family as a kid growing up it was all your dream is to be a Carolina player. Not right. only just go to Carolina, but win a national championship to do that in front of your friends and family and make them proud. It's just it's an unbelievable feeling and hard to put into words and describe of, you know, just how satisfying or gratifying that is, you know. I'm sure. All right. So you get drafted into the NBA second round draft pick by the Cleveland Cavaliers. You play 20, because, you know, people f- forget about this. You know, it's like, now you're like a San Antonio Spur. You won a championship uh, with, with the Spurs. But the way you actually came to the Spurs, you got drafted by Cleveland. You played about 20 games by the Cavaliers. You get bounced to the D-League. You get waived. You go, you get picked up by the Spurs. Then you get your ass sent back to the D-League. Then you wind up playing uh, overseas and all this. Then you finally make it to San Antonio. When, when you're going through all this, you know, you're a high school star, you play at North Carolina, you win a championship, you, you know, you're doing your thing. Are you like going, what the hell's going on? Like, and, and what was the sort of thing that you learned about your game that changed? Like, you know, like, or was it one thing? Like, is it footwork? Is it drop step? Is it a step back three? Like, or is it just a combination of things, you know, where you sort of figured out and were able to play at the NBA level? Or is it just politics and opportunity? What was it for you? It's everything that you just mentioned together. Um, I'm a basketball so mind, Danny. Like, That's what they call me. They do yeah, say that a, I'm a basketball <laughs> mind. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I see. Trust me, I follow. I, I see how much you're into sports, not just basketball, but all sports. And you, you're great at it. You're great at what you do. You do your research, do your due diligence. And, you know, you know what you're talking about. You might be a GM one day. So <laughs> for me, like I said, <laughs> for me, it was, um, you know, going through that process up and down roller coaster. Um, being in Cleveland, I, I learned a lot, obviously, playing with and against you know LeBron and Shaq and those guys every day in practice and, you know Anthony Parker Delonte West Mo Williams all those guys on the Cleveland Cavs was a very talented team and they're you know older guys good veterans um but it's a different type of atmosphere you know um, more relaxed days a more party younger group when I got to San Antonio I learned a lot um you know not saying it wasn't professional in Cleveland but way different level of professionalism when it comes to you know Timmy you know Manu Tony you know, those guys and how they handle business really no all they do is basketball. There's no real, you know, fun partying, they're just on the plane, there's no gamblers, no nothing, you know, no card games. You know, they're just business. But they get along and hang out once in a while when they can here and there. But for me, let's say going up and down, I didn't realize there's one skill set. It was just perfecting certain skill sets so that, you know, teams could identify you as something. Mm. So I mean I was I was a good player at, you know, certain things, certain aspects of the games, I was pretty good. I was good at a lot of things, but not great at anything. So in order to be, 
identified at something. I had to be great at something. And I had to figure whether it's, you know, shooting, defense. And for me, obviously in San Antonio, it was always defense. So I was hanging my hat on that end of the floor. But then also I want to be you know, a great shooter, a pure shooter. And that also made me a threat in the offensive end of the floor. So the more I worked on things, I just kept repetition with my coaches, my individual developmental, you know, coaches of doing the same things over and over to raise my percentages to be, you know, a shooter where, you know, guys had to guard me and respect me. So I worked on those things just, you know, a ton more. Just everything is, you know, timing, opportunity. And it's like sometimes politics, but, you know, the timing of it was great because San Antonio, you know, Manu, Tony were getting a little older. They didn't have a deep bench. And we had opportunity to come in. You know, Richard Jefferson was there at the time, but then they had traded him away. And there wasn't a lot of guys in the bench that they were sold on or that they were like, all right, we're going to keep this guy forever. We wouldn't, you know, so I had, I had opportunity to make my mark. And um, so the timing was just perfect for me. And then was like, opportunity always comes because eventually in the NBA game, NBA season, so many games, everybody gets hurt. Somebody's mm. going to get hurt. Every team has injuries. You just have to be, you know, ready, prepared to take the opportunity when it comes your way. And Pop, he's always good at throwing the new guys in there see what you can do, you know, early. You know, Danny, go get in there. You know, throwing uh, whoever's new call up from D-League. Go in there and see what you can do. Guard this guy. So when, you know, I got the opportunity, I was able to show that you know, I could be trusted or I can, I was capable of not letting the team down or capable of being in this league and belonging and actually maybe helping the team some a little bit. So, you know, just waiting for the right opportunity, being the 15th man on the bench or coming from the D-League and just waiting. And Musa Manu broke his hand. He got mm. injured. So there's a lot of opportunity there for whoever was up for the grabs. And it was me and a couple other guys fighting it out for minutes to see, you know, who should play more minutes, play the two and help fill that, you know, void or that role that Manu, you know, him missing. And, you know, lucky for me is that I, I, I was prepared for it. Shooting has been something you've been good at. You know, great at, elite at. Yeah. But when you're going from, you know, a good college shooter to, you know, a good NBA shooter, what was the thing that sort of took you to that area? Is it like just being able to, like, to know that your coach is uh, supporting you shooting the ball? All, all of those things, man, once again, come into play. Um, once you shoot more, you become more confident. You become more relaxed. The more you hit some, obviously, the more your coach encourages it, the more your coach trusts you to shoot it. But that also is a big key to have. The confidence is, can make or break a guy or a player in this league, in any league. Because guys are very talented. And some right. of them just have the confidence to perform on that level or that stage. Or they have confidence behind them, their coach or whatever it is. Or they don't have the opportunity. And they kind of phase out or just lose themselves and, you know, kind of don't follow up on it. But, you know, the more you work on it, the more confident you get in it. For me, it was obviously technique of doing repetition the same way over and over and making sure my shot, I didn't shoot it differently every time. And that, you know, raised my percentage a, a ton. Um, but also just, you know, shooting it confident, having my coaches behind me being more confident uh, of, you know, telling me to shoot every time that I'm open. And, you know, once you start hitting some, it, it, it helps, you know, be more relaxed and just shoot the ball and not think about it. But it, it started with me with um, just repetition of shooting it the same way every time, doing techniques and doing it over and over. Thousands of times, you know, two a days, just getting a lot of shots. Up. When you're putting in that work, and I'm sure you do it now. I've I've had the the honor of 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 being around, you know, NBA players and watch them do, uh, you know, shoot around when there's no cameras and and practice and all that stuff. You know, walk me through, like, you know, in, in the summertime or even in the regular season, like, walk me through, like, your shooting routine if you're putting in a, a good day's work, whether it's season or off season. Like, if, if Danny Green at this point in his career wants to, like, really 
you know, give a good day of shooting, what is it? It's for sure uh, makes. Um, when you go for the makes, you'll get the reps up because you're not going to make 100%. You know, most shooters, even when they're wide open and they're doing their drills, they might shoot, you know, 70, 80% at best. So you're still, if you make 500, you're going to end up taking, you know, six, 700 shots at least for that day, which is a good shooting rep. But a lot of times for me, it's, you know, getting warm, getting technique, repetition, and then makes. How many make are the makes? Many. On a good day, you know, at least, you know, I said three to 500, it could range. Uh, wow. But it could be different. You know, we'll do some twos, we'll do some threes. Uh, when I was younger, high school, obviously a lot more. Now, it's just, you know, repetition of maintenance. You don't have to do as many. Probably it's had a good day for me now, probably about 300. Um, but uh, the most part for me is that it's just, you don't have to do long stints. You can do, you know, 45 you. minutes to an hour and a half of working out of just, you know, good practicing the right things and doing it at a, a pace that's game speed. And that's, you know, more productive than doing a whole bunch of shots, a whole bunch of shooting, you know, because sometimes you'll just get tired. You won't do it the right way every time. And now you're practicing bad habits. So it's good probably to do, you know, 45 minutes to an hour and a half of, you know, good quality, productive, you know, shooting movement. And you a lot of times when you do the shooting, you're like, I want to make this many at this, at this spot. I want to mm. make, you know, 10 out of 13 or 10 out of, you know, 15. I want to make 10, but I can't miss more than two or three shots. So I miss more than two. I got to start over, mm. you know, so, you know, that, that right there is probably being efficient and doing it, you know, in a time-efficient amount as well. And just at game speed, I think, is more important than getting a, a, a big or a lot of reps or a quantity of hours and, you know, a bunch of stuff that people don't make any sense to do in the gym. Because a lot of stuff will be counterproductive when you're not doing it the right way. You've played against other great shooters. And, and it's, you know, it's like like I said, you know, I, I've had the, the fortune of watching uh, you know, up close, you know, some some guys do, like I saw Steph do it in, in practice. I saw Clay do it in practice. You know, I've been around the big three. You know, I seen Brian Scalabrini, mm -hmm. believe it or not, make 30 in a row. It's shocking yeah. <laughs> as it might sound, but I saw it with my own eyes. Who who are the other shooters, you know, who are the ones that stick out throughout your career? Obviously, you know, those guys that you mentioned. Are, Scalabrini? Are Brian Scalabrini? I mean, yeah, I mean, he's still a professional. End of the day, Guys that are professionals, they can shoot the ball. They outshoot any you know normal human being. Right. And not all of them are great shooters, but they're still professionals, and they, they score the ball. There's a reason why they're on that you know level of play. But um, you know Steph and Clay and Katie, those guys have the ultimate confidence, and that's just that's the number one that's a factor right there. And obviously they're great shooters. They're the best shooters probably in the history of the game. They get a lot of reps up. They have unbelievable touch. But um, there were some guys that I played with and against. Like a Matt Bonner, he mm. shot it greatly. Obviously, he picked and choose his his moments when to shoot. You know, he's a more efficient guy. He didn't like to shoot when guys were too close or contested. But you know, he's you see him do drills. He's a pure shooter. He used to hit. We had a Spurs 100. He used to be in the 80s and 90s. You know, I think he holds a record for it. Steve Novak, another guy. Uh huh. Um, it's a lot of shooting. You so pretty basically 100 threes and how many you can make out of 100 threes. But it's off movement. It's off doing this. Off doing that. That's crazy. And those guys would be in the 80s and 90s out of 100, you know, making, you know, off movement threes. So those are some guys with just natural stroke that, man, they shoot it unbelievable and they have confidence every time they catch it and shoot it, they, they believe it, they know it's going in. Um, when, when people ask you about Tim Duncan, and, and it's probably a rhetorical question, I mean, you know, Manu, Tim Duncan, and Tony Parker, these are three iconic players all three are so under the radar and under uh, sort of 
appreciated. You know, Tony's never brought up as a top point guard, even when he was at his his very best. Manu, you know, yeah. you you got you forget. So l- let me just ask you about Tim Duncan. Um, for me, um, playing with him, playing against against him in practice, he, he was such a high IQ player and mentally strong and everything. He's a confident, but he was the greatest teammate you could, you could ever ask for. Timmy was just said the he's the, the mentally toughest guy that I've been around, and you know obviously Manu too, Tony. Those guys are all mentally tough and very confident. But Timmy was the greatest teammate you could ask for because he knew he was very good. He knew how good he was, but he encouraged you as if you were better than him. He always encouraged his teammates, and I think he was underrated in a lot of things that he did other than scoring. Like he was a great passer, he was a great screener. He did all the little things that most superstars don't do. And that comes from his, you know, humbleness of, you know, not having an ego and encouraging his teammates, you know, to shoot. You know, he, he encouraged me to shoot more than him. And I'm like, you're Tim Duncan, dude. What the f- you should be posting, asking me to give you the ball. And he's like, you know, I'm going to set a He's finding ways to get people open. He's finding ways to, to get easy baskets for everybody else and encouraging you. And, and that's a big key because, you know, this confidence is a big thing in our league. And he knew how to get younger guys to play better and to be confident. So Pop does the same thing. But. He, he knew how to push us and also how to just be, you know, have our backs to allow us to play our game because he was so confident in us and encouraged us coming from a guy of that stature. And, and that's, you know, where he's at, you know, uh, as a player in, in, in our league and how respected he is. And, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. All three of those guys are Hall of Famers and they compete unbelievably. So. Did you ever see him get pissed or frustrated? You know, like he, he oh, always sure. seems so mild mannered. Like would he ever get frustrated or like, you know, sort of break out of what the perception of Tim Duncan character would be? Yeah, it's not often because it's, it's so mentally strong, like I said. And like I said earlier, the 2004 finals against the Miami Heat, the, the, the evil Miami Heatles, you sent them packing. I, I couldn't stand them. They made me sick. I watched that game five. That's the last time me and my father, he's still alive, but we watched that game five. We, were, we went crazy. It was two New Yorkers <laughs> going crazy, read, rooting for the San Antonio Spurs. You guys basically sent LeBron James packing. You sent them back to Cleveland. How fulfilling was that? Now, I know you're a San Antonio Spurs. I know you guys don't talk a lot of trash, but in hindsight, how beautiful was that to kick their asses in five games and they didn't even come back for more? Like, in my opinion, like, that was like, you know, they beat you once, you beat them once, let's re-up and yeah. come back for Frazier, Ali, three. You sent them back to Cleveland. When, when you think back to that finals and, and you guys beat them in five games, completely just disorienting and dismantling that team, how fulfilling was that to win that championship? It, it was very fulfilling, man. Um, I think more so because the year before they had beaten us, and oh, we that had, was um, painful. We, it was, and, and the way they beaten us because we thought we had it, we, we should have won. Um, we just, I think, we they were obviously a great team. We felt like we made a lot of mistakes in game six and seven where we beat ourselves and allowed them back into the game. Is Ray is the Ray so, Allen shot the game six? Yes, that oh. that's the one that really hurt the most. Game six because once it's hard to beat a team at home in game seven. It's, Never, it's only happened once. I think Cleveland has done it against Golden State before that, and it never happened before. Game seven, no other team has won on the road. So we knew we had to get game six, and the way we lost it, it was very tough. So the following year, beating them was very fulfilling and, and you know, satisfying. 
and obviously, you know, we wanted to see them again, but I think it was more of a relief that, you know, mm. that they broke up. You have to play that team again because they, they were really good, man. And you got to give them a lot of credit. They had three all-stars. They were tough to play against. And I'm like, all right, you know, Brian left went back to Cleveland. I, I think that's kind of a relief. We don't have to see those guys. Again. We can go back to, you know, hopefully the finals again and play a different type of team. And, you know, at that time, we, we thought we had a shot to keep it going. But, you know, injuries happen. Guys get older, things like that. But to, to, to lose to them in game seven and then come back and be able to win the way we did and beat them in, game, in five games, very fulfilling, man. You know, you're talking about that game six with the, the infamous Ray Allen shot. And, you know, they talk about uh, the trophy being nearby the court. Were you aware of that? Like, in all honesty, like, did you, could you tell, like, the arena was setting up for the Spurs to win this championship? No, no I, I didn't. I didn't see. Everybody kept saying the ropes were out. The trophy was out. I didn't see that. I did see people leaving. I know a lot of people were leaving. They thought the game was over. Oh, they left. Um, they went to the I, club. They were listening to EDM music. They went to go eat yeah, oysters and go to the to, club. Yeah, they saying people were trying to get back in the doors. That, you know, went into overtime. They wouldn't let people back in. But um, so I didn't see the trophy. I didn't see the ropes. But we were up. We had a couple shots. To make. We had a couple chances to make some free throws. We missed them. And, you know, Ray hit that big shot, put it into overtime. And then, you know, after that, it was all short. They, they had a you know great overtime. You know, a couple of minutes, the team got hot and had the momentum. But um, so I did not see the trophy or, or the ropes. I just saw a lot of people leaving and, and kind of, you know, everybody in the arena was kind of deflated and, you know, thought we were had won it. So, but it's just crazy how quick a game could change like that. Yeah, that was nuts. Now, you played with LeBron. You mentioned when you were with Cleveland, you played against LeBron. <laughs> G- give me a LeBron story. Give me, like, what makes him so ridiculously good whether something you you know you remember from when you played with him or playing against him like when you're old when you're 90 and you're <laughs> back in long island okay and, and, yeah. and your great grandkids say uh grandpa danny great great grandpa danny what was it like playing up against lebron james or what was it like being a teammate with lebron james what's the single thing that you'll say or the single story that you'll say um there's a lot of things you can say about the guy, man. I, I know you're not a big fan of him, but I mean, I respect you know, the crap a, out of him. <laughs> yeah, is, is it known, a, Danny, that I that I'm not a fan? But like, yeah. that's funny that you say it is known. It's known worldwide and throughout the NBA. That's a fact. Yeah, it's, it's kind of yeah, it's known. It's known that you're not a big fan of Bron. Did you see me last year at Game Five show up in San um, in Golden State with a plunger? Because I was at that game with a plunger. No, I didn't see it. <laughs> okay, I was at I that game that with one. a plunger, and I was in Cleveland at Game Three with a broom. Uh, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yes, it's known that you're not a big fan of him, so and I understand. But you might have had a bad experience. The, the dude is—he's a really humble, down-to-earth kind of dude. Once you get to know him and understand about, I knew probably an unfortunate uh, situation where things might have got miscommunicated, and you know things didn't go the way he might have turned out to look not as good. But he's—he knows how to have fun, and he knows how to get his teammates on board he's a great player because of how he does so many things great like i said not many people can do a lot many things great mm-hmm. you know he's a great pass he's a great rebounder he's a great scorer he's a great leader he's a great teammate you know he knows how to encourage his guys and get them playing their best mm-hmm. he can turn he can take a guy off the worst team in the nba right now that's not playing great and bring them to cleveland or bring him on bronze team and he'll have him playing a, being a totally different player well, what is it so, though? Like, what is it? He helps you. He builds. He finds out what you're good at, and he wants to accentuate definitely. them, and he builds that confidence in you. 
Definitely. And he just encouraged you. He encouraged you to, you know, play your game and shoot. And he's very similar to Timmy in, in that aspect of, you know, being a humble down to earth guy and, you know, letting you play and be you and encouraging you to, to play, you know, good basketball. And so he knows how to win now, obviously going to Miami. He learned a lot from there. He knows how to win and be a leader, a better leader. But I've seen him take over games, man. Before I even got to Cleveland, when he was, you know, doing his thing against Detroit in the playoffs, even when I got there, there's, there's games during the season and even the playoffs that he's just taking over games and he was the only guy scoring, you know, the next 20 points. Like he'll run off 18, 20 points straight in a quarter or in a half. And he was doing some amazing things. And a lot of that it goes to show because naturally, to me, he's not a natural scorer. He's mm. more of a point guard. You know, mm-hmm. He's more of a passer. So for him to able to do those things, and they say, oh, he can't shoot. But you know, he worked on that. He did this. He, he, he does so many things great. And he's gotten better every year. And just his IQ, I think, what separates him from everybody else. Um, at yeah. that height, that size, that speed, there's a lot of guys that have you know, God-given talent. But the IQ puts him over the edge of everybody else, and that's why he's you know so great at what he does, and also gets the best out of his teammates. He knows how to what angles to get them, or what, right. what angles to go at them, or to, to approach them to get them on the same page as he's on, and get them playing their game of better basketball. Just being with him, your confidence levels go up, you know, a ton. Just playing around him, being with him, playing against him. Um. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he's he's sick. He's sick. I, you know, I was with Chauncey Billups the other day, and he heard me giving LeBron love, and he said. He, we almost had like a prayer service. He was like, uh, I'm, I'm proud of you, Mike. You know, I mean, like, listen, he's ridiculous. I, I got a couple more questions for you, Danny. Manu Ginobili, future Hall of Famer, one of my favorite players in the league. Um, and he's one of the guys in that game five. I can't remember exactly what happened, but I felt like somebody pushed him or knocked him down. There's a dirty player. Then he wound up banging it on the head of somebody on the Miami yeah. Eagles, and the rest Chris was Bosch. history. Yeah, he ended up getting a dunk on the break over uh, Chris Bosh. And he just came out hot, man. He's just the ultimate competitor. There's no other way to describe it. Just warrior, the most competitive guy I've ever seen I've been around. He doesn't need coaching. That's uh-huh. how competitive he is. You know, Pop usually gets on everybody. Pop doesn't have to get on Manu to be this, to be that, because he knows he's going to get what he's going to get from Manu night in, night out, just him being himself. He coaches himself. He motivates himself. He pushes himself. He's going to dive even at 40 years old. He's diving on the floor. He's putting his body on the line. He literally gave up by parts of his body he shouldn't have for this organization. Mm. You know, he had to get get surgery for. It. So, and he's willing to do it again. He still takes charges, even though he has you know chest plate issues, or mm. those, even though he got knee in the groin area and had to get surgeries. He still will put his body on the line, his lifeline, diving into the crowd and doing those types of things, even at forty. And a lot of guys at that age, with the money that they made or he's made. Mm. Don't compete. They compete. You know, they play one side. They take plays off. Manu's not taking plays off. He's giving everything he's got every play, man. He's just the ultimate competitor. Now, now, I'm a huge fan, and I have my own hair issues myself, Danny. Was it a team effort? <laughs> um, did you guys come together as a Spurs organization? Did it happen in Argentina? How did we get Manu to, to finally go, the party's over, and we got to go to the low-cut the low <laughs> haircut? I want you to keep it real. Now, I know this is the Spurs, and it's a, a quiet organization. Was there a team meeting about mm-hmm. the hair? Because it was like everybody breathed a sigh of relief <laughs> when he shaved it down. Because it was like two or three years. It's like, Manu, you're a Hall of Famer. You look nuts. You look crazy. Like, it's time. the party's over. Please walk me through how we got to this point. Because now he looks fantastic. Yeah, man, he's 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 owned it. And uh, Mono, believe it or not, he used to be like 
on covers of magazines with like hair magazines. Like I Head know. and Shoulders had the long, you know, Spanish hair. Yeah, he looked <laughs> and, fantastic. Uh, but his hair changed. <laughs> it did. It, it, but his hair, I think he went through that process before I even got here um, of shaving it down. Um, he had a little bald spot in the middle. And I guess you know he shaved it down. I don't know if there's a team meeting or not, or if anybody came to him, or his wife maybe. I don't know, or his teammates in Argentina. Um, but he, he made that decision before I got to San Antonio, so I'd have to ask him about that. Of, you know, when he decided to let it go. Okay. And and fully, you know, I, I'll ask him that for you, and then get back to you on that one. All right, because I came to ask you the hard hitting questions, and I felt like that's like you know the elephant in the room that everybody's been wanting to know when they talk to Ginobili, <laughs> and and I'm just like, we got to get to the bottom of it. Um, I want to hear your insight on this. This is uh, the other team meeting question. You know, the Kawhi Leonard situation has been. All season long, this mystery, you, which was sort of, again, not a San Antonio Spur uh, thing, you know, you sort of debunked that uh, there, was, there was a team meeting. I don't know how, if there is a, a players-only meeting, how the media would even know about it. I, I, I really don't understand how that works. What's going on with Kawhi? And like, just, you know, and, and listen, I'm not trying to walk you into anything. Just what's going on with yeah. Kawhi? And how did you want, like, you tweeted, which again, it's not like a Spurs thing. Yeah, no, I just I felt it was necessary um, at the time because it was false information. It couldn't have been more false. Mm. Um, so I don't know how media gets a hold of these things, but team meeting for us, people make it seem like it's this big ordeal. It's just locker room talk. We're just in locker room talking, <laughs> and it's just all right. We'll excuse the training staff and we'll just talk. It's not really a big thing. We talk in locker room every day, even at practice. So you can say we have meetings every day, but it was there five or ten minutes. You know, nothing major was discussed. Um, obviously, he's going through, you know, more so, you know, we let him know that we have his back regardless of what's going on. We know it's a process for him. It's a different, weird type of injury in his body is going through. He had a couple setbacks, obviously. Um, but, you know, we're hearing a lot of things from the media of, you know, this, this and that. And I just, I guess the communication between us, um, not saying had gotten lost, but it just wasn't up to date because we had been on the road so much. But we just always refocus back when we get back in town of everybody that's injured or everybody that's not been on, or even when we're losing games or when we're winning games, we just circle back, refocus and talk to each other and see what's going on. Have make sure we're all on the same page. We had a team meeting after we had lost like nine of our last 10. Nobody talked about that one though. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we just talked about refocusing and stuff like that, but I don't know how it gets out to the media. They obviously looking for stuff. They, they reach, they, they search, they try to have, they need something to write. Um, the reason why I, I tweeted something is I knew we didn't have practice that day or the next day we wouldn't see them and it's going to be all on everybody's timeline, all on the TV, mm. and they're going to be talking about this issue that is, you know, ninety-five percent incorrect. The only thing that was correct about it is that there was a meeting, but you can call anything a meeting. But other than that, the whole, you know, I guess article or everything that was put in it was incorrect. So I just said, you know, that's false information because I didn't want to hear about it for the next two days ah. before we got a chance to talk to the media and be like, you know, that's not true. So, and, and everybody's on, you know, first take and here and here and then running with it. And then I, I just don't feel like having to deal with all the questions and my timelines being blown up. Everybody ah. asks me questions, but the only person that really knows what's going on with Kawhi is Kawhi. We know that he has, um, he's had a weird injury. He's, he's fighting to get back. We're mentally, he's not find a, a place where he can sustain, a good percentage of health where his leg, I guess, won't give out or have weakness when he starts playing again. He's been, you know, doing his workouts. And the reason why we have meetings or talk to him because a lot of his workouts take place after we leave, mm. you know, after we leave the facility. So, you know, we just, how's, you know, 
right now is so the only person that really knows what's going on with Kawhi is Kawhi. We don't know what percentage that is. We don't know what his date or time. So everybody keeps asking, and we don't know because I don't think he knows. And, you know, he's hearing from doctors. He's still waiting to be cleared and figured out what percentage is. So every time we give the answer and people think, like, oh, it's a big secret. You guys know some more information. We don't. The only person that really knows is Kawhi. And him, I don't think he even knows. So, so either way, we still have his back. You know, we let him know that. We just, you know, keep an updated process. But at the same time, you know, we're moving forward, playing as if he might not come back. We don't know the situation. The doctors know better than us. And, you know, a better understanding, he, he could explain it better than anybody. But said, I don't think he even knows as well. He's just waiting to be cleared and, you know, going through his process, working out every day. And so a lot of his stuff takes place after we leave. So that's why we don't know. So we just try to keep, you know, updating and communicating. That happens at least once a week. We talk all the time. But the other stuff in that locker room, there's nothing major. You know, even if it was, we wouldn't talk about it to the media anyway. How is it for you, you know, like NBA players in particular, but but, but all athletes, obviously football, uh, uh, you know, being the second most. But you guys, it's like a freaking feeding frenzy. And it's changed so much <laughs> even since you got in the league. And you're, you're, a, you're a young guy. But the Instagramification uh-huh. and the Twitter and like, you know, you could be doing a random – you know, post game interview after uh, a game in Milwaukee, uh, you could have yeah. you know twisted your ankle, um, had a bad game and lost. And if your attitude or what you say isn't carefully thought out, it becomes oh, national man. news. I mean, it just seems like such a burden for all of you guys. But you know, like the it, guys, it the is. stars, like LeBron, Russell Westbrook, KD, Steph. You know, um, it's got to be sickening. But 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 for all of you guys, if you just say one wrong thing. One wrong Man. tweet, it's like the world stops on its axis. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because I put that tweet out, didn't know it would go viral like that. It's very basic, and you have to be so careful because so many things going on in the world. Obviously, people now, everything is sensitive, you know, with you know younger kids, schooling this. You know, growing up, there wasn't as much social media. There wasn't as much this, much that. And obviously, everything wasn't so, I guess, you know, sensitive with certain things on the internet. You know, there wasn't bullying, cyberbullying. There wasn't this, there wasn't that. And you have to be careful with everything you say. People take it the wrong way. You know, you can't even buy a dog without somebody telling you how you need to buy your dog or do it that way. Or, you know, the breeders or this, that, and that, that's the, that's the wrong way. You can't wear certain clothes without somebody, right. you know, saying something about it. So and I'm, I'm not under the same microscope as those guys you mentioned. And I can't believe what they are, but you have to be so careful what you say, what you put out, what you tweet. You have to reread it. You have to have people look over it or, you know, just think about it first and then ask. If, you, yeah. if you're questioning, you probably should have somebody look it over. And, you know, uh-huh. I've learned from my mistakes in the past. We've all had made mistakes on the Internet. So from there, it's best not to even comment, especially on political issues. It's best not to comment on any of it, but it's best not to post if you're not sure. You know, ask somebody to review it. You know, I've put up po- wrong, wrong uh, pictures. I've put up wrong captions for wrong things for like two minutes, and you know, it's got misconstrued and taken out of context. And now I'm this person that right. none of these people even know who I am. But I'm this person that people make me out to be that's not even close to who I am. But you have to be so careful, man. And it, it's it's tough to even be yourself. And right. that's why a lot of guys, as much as fans want to be involved in our lives and see how we interact on social media. We have to limit it because of how careful we have to be and how sensitive you know, the world is to some of the things that we do and say we can't even be ourselves or you know, let them into our lives on, you know, via social media like that. 
My final question, Popovich, you know, we talk about social media and and being uh, careful. You know, one of the things that I think, uh, you know, that's that's made him even more beloved and and respect is that he's been out so outspoken about political things, about social things. What is having uh, this Hall of Fame coach in front of you, particularly uh, and you're a New York guy, you know, who's not afraid to be himself. He's not afraid to say what he wants to say. He's not afraid to have an emotional reaction. And he, you know, he's obviously for the people. You know what I mean? Um, what does Greg Popovich mean to you? Um, that's the, the way he handles things off the court is probably the main reason why most guys come here and are proud to play for him. Obviously, he's a great coach. Very tough to play for most times. You have to be very mentally tough. And it's a culture shock change for me and many other people, you know, being yourself, pulling him back, learning how to do this, doing it his way. But because of how outspoken he is for us off the court, you know, it allows us to express, you know, so many guys, we have different countries, different cultures. Mm-hmm. It allows us to express, you know, where we come from, our culture and how we feel about it. And if we want to, you know, bring some attention to this or this needs to be brought to this. We can actually talk to him about that or bring that up and say, you know, we want to do this for that or do this for this um, because he's so, so open minded when it comes to those things. And it you know, makes us proud to be a part of his organization and be you know, a part of his family. You know, he's family now. I've been here for some years with him and many other coaches and everybody that comes through. And once you're a spur, you always a spur and they always treat you like family. So for him, he's big, you know, not just for basketball, but our community, you know, the minorities. He speaks out, you know, for us more than anybody else that I've I've seen. He's always, you know, trying to find a way to do this, to educate us, to see what's going on, not just in the United States, but other countries of the world, and realizing, you know, we're just playing basketball. We're very lucky, we're blessed, and it's just a game. You know, even though we're losing, we're competitive, we compete, we want to win, we want to do great, but at the end of the day, it's just a basketball game, and we don't realize other parts of the world, people are going to, and and that aspect of, of, life you know he's amazing all right listen i'm gonna let you go i can't tell you how much i appreciate uh you rock with me danny i've been a fan uh i want you guys to uh, Damn, get it man. together in the playoffs competitive west western conference um I told you my mom's from long island de la soul rock him you got you know howard stern <laughs> dr j eddie murphy natalie portman danny green i mean it, it's a it, the scaramucci that's like a little sore uh, on the long island list of people but uh i've been a fan for a long time man and uh you know i would love to have you back face to face talk more hoops to do same man i really appreciate it. i would i would love to do that too. i'll be in la some off season and whenever we can catch up man i really appreciate you having me and as soon as we can catch up again I'm definitely all for it. And let's do in the summertime, let's do 300 makes. You you might like to bring a sleeping bag and a pillow, <laughs> but I'll get it done. <laughs> I'm there with you, man. I'm going to help you through it. I'm going to be a good teammate. All right, cool, man. Yo, enjoy the rest of the season. Have a healthy rest of the season and, and kick ass in the playoffs. Give them problems. Appreciate that, man. I really appreciate it. All right, cool, Thank Danny. You. Thank you, my man. Anytime. All right, listen. It's the best show in the world. It's the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. Okay, we came, we saw, we conquered. Have no fear. The I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast is here. Danny Green, Broadway Danny Green. Thank you for rocking on the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. I can't wait to do it again. This summer, we're going to have a little shooting contest. I want to have a little show. I want you to see my stroke. I got a nice, I got a left-handed stroke. It's beautiful. Uh, No, Bruno. No, no, Bruno. No, Bruno. Thank you for rocking on the Iron Rap Stereo Podcast. That's our second San Antonio Spur. 
Kyle Anderson was our first. I plan on having many, many more. Um, Get Kawhi. What? Get Kawhi. Oh, <laughs> love it. All right, we're done. Miles Jordan, the Dust Brothers, best producers in the business. Take us out of here with a banger, a smacker, and let it rock for a little while. Let the people rock. Okay, let the people enjoy the Moody Beats. My name is Michael Rapport. His name is G Moody. His last name yep. rhymes with duty. This is the yep. I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. We'll be back with another banger later on in the week. It's primetime podcasting next. Peace.